Blog Talk Radio.
welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in this evening. This is T. Love, your host here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am a Reiki master and certified sound therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where we are streaming to you live as we do every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, our chat room is open, so feel free to join the discussion that is already happening online. We do keep an eye on the chat room, so if you have a question, go ahead and post it, and we'll do our best to get your question on air. As an alternative, for those of you who are on the go and you can't continue to listen online, you can call us directly by dialing 347-202-0227, and that way you can listen via phone, or please be sure to use your Bluetooth if you are driving about. Tonight, we are celebrating the human spirit, and we will do so with encouragement, advice, and guidance from business leaders, visionaries, professionals, and ordinary people in such a way that you, too, will be able to soar and flourish in the very midst of life's challenges now and in the future. My guest is David Mezapel. David believes that we all have stories that can inspire and motivate others across many of life's themes. He's discovered that whether people are enduring good times or bad, just knowing that others have persevered from similar experiences is comforting and it spreads a message of hope. And as a serial entrepreneur, David has founded several companies and he's experienced great peaks and valleys in his own life. And tonight we're going to discuss his book, Contagious Optimism, which is an integral part of the curriculum at his former alma mater, Fairfield University in Connecticut. David is known for his lifelong optimism, and his book furthers his commitment of helping others through positive, forward thinking. Welcome to the show, David, and thank you for joining us. How are you being this evening? Um, Great. Thank you, and uh, thank you for having me here. I greatly appreciate it. Oh, you know, I just, I love your book. I mean, Contagious Optimism. What a great title. When it arrived, I couldn't help but smile because, you know, somehow it just seems to evoke that simply by the name of the book. So even before you open a page, you're already optimistic just because you read the title, which I thought was really kind of cool. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate that. We really put a lot of thought into it and trying to be as contagiously optimistic as I can all my life, the the name just clicked when we, we came up with it. It's just a great name. How did you come to write this book? What was the catalyst that made you do that? Sure. Well, really, there was there was two catalysts um, that that got me to do this. First of all, uh, I never stopped thinking back all my life to the stories I've heard as a kid from relatives, family, friends, and and other people I've always come across. Uh, I was the youngest in my family, so I was always exposed to just great stories from history and from the war and from business and from, you know, from back in the early last century. So I always thought how great it would be to capture these stories. And and now that a lot of these people are gone in my life, what I wouldn't give to hear those stories again today. I never let go of that. I I never did. Uh, And then more recently in my professional life, Fairfield University, my alma mater that you had mentioned, um, they had been asking me for years to write a book on the importance of optimism in business, entrepreneurship, innovation, uh, but all all under the guidelines of, of optimism and positive thinking and how to run your business or how to grow your business, how to manage your teams. So in 2010, 
I was finally ready to move forward with this project, uh, and I thought, you know, it's always been my dream to capture people's stories. If Fairfield's pushing me to do this, why not move forward but capture stories from people all over the world, not just me, and stories across all kinds of themes, not just business. And that was it, and then we kicked it off. We kicked it off. It's really great. And, and the fact that there is an affiliation with your alma mater, how did the students become involved in your book project? Sure. Well, what happened was over the years, um, I've always been a big fan of internship programs. Um, I've launched a lot of them myself. When I first started my company out of college, I couldn't afford employees, and I hired interns, not just from Fairfield, but from schools all over the U.S. and Canada, and eventually throughout the world. And it really was very uh, gratifying in several ways, and it became a big part of, of my professional life. So now when I was ready to do the book, I thought, how great would it be to involve students? So what I did was we, we capture stories from people on an ongoing basis, and we're going to keep releasing volumes of, of the books, by the way. And oh, so as we capture stories, we compile them into these draft manuscripts. And then every semester, the students at Fairfield University in the advanced publishing class uh, they're given these manuscripts, and their job is to break up into teams and copy edit all the work. As we call it the initial copy edit process. And then, um, and then from there it comes back, it gets compiled into the formal manuscript, which goes off to the publisher, and they do some other editing and what they need to do. So every semester since 2010, these students get to touch and feel a real book, and their names are in the back of every book, and it's a, it's a great experience. It's on their it's on their syllabus. It's on their resume, and uh, and we actually hire the best students every year that perform to work for us on this project. Well, that's wonderful. It really is quite an opportunity for them, and it's great fodder for a resume. That's a terrific a terrific way to go about doing that. Thank you. How very good. You're, oh, you're quite welcome. How great for you. You know, the timing of the book for me is crazy good because. This world obviously needs more optimism. <laughs> you know, people don't even realize how much negativity they express on a daily basis. And, you know, we live in this digital world, and we learn about things that are happening on the other side of the planet through pictures and videos, and, and it really sets a tone. And it's quite unfortunate that most of the time the news is negative, and, of course, that's what people talk about around the water cooler. So when you were writing Contagious Optimism, was timing a factor? I mean, it really couldn't be more perfect now or even a couple of years. Did you even consider that at all, that this is good for this point in time in history? Absolutely. Um, as a matter of fact, I always felt that um, there's always going to be people that are negative, and, and they could always use a good shove once in a while and realize that, that we all have blessings, and there's always something we could be grateful for. But nowadays, more than ever, as you said, many mm -hmm. people have lost confidence in themselves and the world around them, really due to personal hardship or economic and political uncertainty around the world. And I believe um, wholeheartedly that hearing these stories will inspire and motivate others to regain the happiness, confidence, and zeal for life that they may have lost. You know, it's a powerful, hopeful thing to know that you can emulate the outcome of someone else who is in a similar situation as you. And even for people in a good place, 
Sometimes hearing about how others have persevered makes you appreciate life and count your blessings. And I think our timing is spot on. Absolutely. I think your timing is spot on, too, and I couldn't agree with you more because we're never the only one that's gone through something. I mean, people sometimes think no one else could have possibly have gone through what I'm going through. That's just not true. And, you know, the more that uh, you talk to people and you, you kind of are a magnet and draw those people toward you, the more help you can give one another because somebody has gone through it, somebody is going through it, and somebody is just starting on the journey. I see it a lot in my work with, like, cancer patients, you know, the ones who have just been diagnosed, the ones who are undergoing treatment, and the ones who are, are survivors. And it is empowering for those people who are just starting out or in the midst of it to see, oh, you can get through it. You can make it through. You can. Your attitude is everything, and it really helps them. And I think your book just fosters that. It just helps people to see with all the stories of these people uh, all the adversity that they had to go through in order to get where they are and that maybe it empowers them to do the same thing. Exactly, exactly. We, uh, I say we, I mean our team and myself, and, and we really truly believe that when people hear stories of how others persevered, it's comforting, and it really does spread a message of hope, as you mentioned earlier. Um, you know, sometimes people will get in a rut, whether it's personally or professionally. It could be, like you said, their health. It could be their finances, relationships, whatever. Um, and a lot of times they think it's just them. But when they hear or read stories of other people that have been in the same boat, they realize, wow, I can get through it. Somebody else has done it. Let me read on. Let me learn more about what they did to get through it. And just knowing that, just that comfort level right there automatically gives you a little pinch of optimism that could become you know, much, much more and get you through whatever the problem is. Yeah, I agree, because people don't, uh, they're, you're never alone. No matter how much you think that you are, you're never, ever alone. Exactly. Even if you don't have the support of family or something, something like your book, there are a lot of people who don't have family, and so they need something. And your book is going to help everybody from being someone who's down in the dumps about whatever to those people who have succeeded, because sometimes, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but I have, when people become successful, they forget where they came from. And to me, it's really critically important to not forget that part because that is what keeps you humble and that is what keeps you successful. And you don't walk on people. Exactly right. Sometimes people, even if they've started from nothing and worked their way up, two things can happen. They either become really caught up in, in the minutia of life and they get caught up in, you know, obligations, but all good stuff, dinners, trips, money, and they forget. And then there there are the people that continue to count their blessings and really appreciate their life. They are they are so slowly but surely harder to find. But when they hear stories or even look back on their own, it's a reminder, hey, I need to count my blessings. I need to be more grateful for what I have and what I did to get here. Because you get caught up in, in appointments and, and fun things and really take them, make them stressful, you're never going to be happy. And, yeah, if you if you bring in the negative, you're only going to find the negative. If that's what you're always looking for, you will indeed find it. Whatever you're looking for, you will find, whether it's negative or positive. For me, it's a whole lot easier and more fun to go down the road of optimism, you know, because, well, like I just said, it's easier and it's more fun. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, we always say, 
We always say you have nothing to lose from being positive versus the stress you will definitely gain from being negative. So why put yourself through that? Right. And stress is the cause of 85% of the diseases. So you're really just kind of asking for yourself to, to, to create some kind of a disease within your body because you're so stressed and you're so negative. But you can change. I mean, it's been proven that you can change your outlook very quickly in a nanosecond. And, of course, I deal with energy. So to me, everything is, you know, energy, and you can shift it. And a lot of times people will say, you know, someone's life changed in a heartbeat. And when they say that, almost 99% of the time, I bet people are thinking, oh, that's because of a bad diagnosis, a job loss, financial loss, the death of someone, you know, a car accident. That's what people think of. But if you look at it and you think, yeah, but what about you met the love of your life, you took the trip of a lifetime, you got the job of your dreams, you know, those are life-changing too. And yet no one says, you know, oh, their life changed in a heartbeat when it's to the good. People are always looking for the negative. I never really understood why that is so paramount when it's a lot easier to find the positive because it's right there in front of you. I, I don't get that part. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I'm so glad you said that because I'll tell you, a lot of people that are, are negative, are pessimistic, uh, that come to some of the different events I'm at or, or I speak at, and they ask me, you know, how, how is it possible to be optimistic and realistic? And I say, not only is it possible, it's what you should be. Because mm. an optimist does not mean you're not a realist. On the contrary, I believe success in anything is achieved when you combine effort, hard work, and reality with positive thinking. That, to me, that's the whole package right there. Just because you're an optimist doesn't mean you're, you're not a realist. There's this whole misnomer that people think optimists are not realists, and that drives me crazy, and I always feel I have to explain that. You need both. Yeah, and it goes back to people starting out as pessimists because why would you think that people who are optimists must not be living in the real world? That doesn't even make sense because if you take the other end of the spectrum and say, well, then people who are pessimists aren't living in the same world. Everything's about balance, you know, right. and optimism fosters more optimism and, and it fosters positive thinking. Now, there is – you do have a um, – well, there's two questions I have here. I don't know which one to ask first. So I'll go, I'll go with this one because we're on this topic. <laughs> there is scientific evidence that tells us how optimism improves our lives. I mean, I know this. We've pretty much talked about this on the show quite a few times. But I'd like to know if you wouldn't mind telling our listeners what you found to be the scientific evidence that helps people to, you know, see that optimism improves our lives. Sure. Well, that's a, that's a great question. That's one of my favorite topics, actually. Um, Optimism, in, in my opinion, is studied two ways, scientifically. The first is the theoretical and spiritual views that have been presented to us by people I'm sure you've heard of, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, Napoleon mm -hmm. Hill, uh, John Gray, Wayne Dyer, all these terrific people have offered us all kinds of hopeful theories and exercises that yield happiness and success. Um, and this goes back centuries. And I love that, the whole spiritual, uh, theoretical view of it. And then there's the, the actual scientific view we've seen from doctors and scientists. And they look at neurochemicals. They look at brain activity. 
They look at learned optimism and optimism biases. They even analyze vitamin D from the power created for being exposed to light. Um, but specifically, let's, let's talk about the neurochemicals. Um, happiness and positive thinking, every single time, they are, it's a fact that they do release neurochemicals, such as oxytocin, dopamine, endorphins, and even serotonin. And serotonin is referred to as the happy hormone. Uh, right. Oxyto- right. Oxytocin is the love and trust hormone that's been in a lot of uh, media lately. They've been talking about it an awful lot, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. Dopamine sends signals to the brain and is used to help motivate people quite often. It's praised for that. And it's also common in addiction therapy as well. And, of course, endorphins are released to help people deal with pain, but they're also released when you're very excited. Um, and, and this is, you know, when we see these come together, we see the scientific view and we see the uh, theoretical view all come together. When we hear about the law of attraction, when we hear about self-actualization, power of positive thinking, to me, that's science meeting theory, the physical meeting the mental or the spiritual. Um, there's a quote I'm sure you've heard that I love from Napoleon Hill. Um, what the mind of man can achieve, or what the mind of man can conceive and believe, it can achieve. And I know that can be cliche in the self-help realm, but it really is true. And when you combine the theory with, with the science, this, there's proof right there. It comes together. You can achieve it when you really, really believe it, and you have to apply yourself. And that's where the reality comes in, not just the positive thinking. Um, and I want to say one other thing on this topic because I, I, this topic is very important to me. Um, one of the things I love to do, and I always recommend to students that I speak before, I love reading biographies and autobiographies of our industrialists going back centuries. And the reason I love to read them is they all seem to have one thing in common. They all talk about these guys that kept their cool, always thought positive, and they delivered. They were successful. Whether it's Andrew Carnegie or, or Henry Ford or millions of others, they all had optimism in common. And a lot of them lived very long lives when, at the time, um, health, you know, medicine didn't give the longevity, the mortality rates that we have now. So it's all proof to me that optimism and positive thinking, when you talk about it in science, it really works. I couldn't agree with you more. And and I, it's funny because I'm an energy therapist, and when I started down this road, I needed the science to back up energy therapy. It isn't just, you know, snap your fingers and blink your eyes. Uh, it's not a carnival game or a parlor trick. It's real. So quantum physics is how you learn about energy. So I studied that and I realized, oh my gosh, this stuff really can work. And now it's meeting mainstream medicine to the point where people are saying, okay, this does work. You can go into ORs and and administer energy therapy during a surgery. So the science is really important. And the science about that you've just been talking about 
applies completely across the board everywhere, my work, everyone's work, because when you're optimistic, and all, so many studies have been done about this, it raises your endorphin levels with three minutes of being heartfeltly optimistic, grateful, appreciative, caring, and compassionate. Three minutes thinking about those words will give you a 100% increase in your endorphins, but it will also lower your cortisol level, which is your stress hormone, by 23%. And when I hear that, I think, well, that's 123% stretch. Where do you get anything at 123% to the good? It's rare. It's awesome. You know, really, you know. So this... All of the facts that come together, it is. It, it's science meeting, meeting everything else out there. It's science meeting theory, everyday living. It's proof positive that living a life where you're more optimistic allows you to live longer and healthier and be happier, and you will bring things to you because now you're a magnet that is drawing those kindred spirits toward you rather than, you know, and you're pushing away all the other stuff. It just makes sense because everything's energy, and when you're putting out good energy, you're only going to get good energy back. So the, the optimistic part of it, 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 that's just like to me the basic level of where you need to start and move on from there. And I know that you talk about in your book the power of positive forward thinking, yes. which it, that, that's a little bit different from the power of positive thinking that we're all familiar with. And I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing an example of that, because when I read about it, I thought, oh, yeah, I get this. I do this, too. This is really cool. So if you would like to talk about that, please feel free to go ahead and do that. Sure. I, I just want to say I love how you, you really get this. It's so, it's so refreshing to talk to you because you're right. You really get what we're about, and I, I love that. Um, no, thank you. You got it. Uh, positive forward thinking, the way I define it, is the ability to find the silver lining in every cloud apply it to today or yesterday, and be hopeful that tomorrow will be better. So in other words, look at, look at the negative of your past. Look at the negative in your present if it's there. Uh, look at the learning lessons, the obstacles. Look at it all and know that the reason is to, to deliver a silver lining, something in the future. So let's talk, for example, about a student studying for a grueling exam. It may seem like the end of the world trying to prepare and, and memorize all the information, but take that energy and picture what the degree can do for your life, for your future. Or, or talk about surgery, like you mentioned your patients you've worked with. You're nervous mm -hmm. going in. You think the worst, and you just can't wait for it to be over. Take all that, all that negative energy, and start visualizing <clears throat> excuse me, what the point of the surgery is what the results of that procedure will deliver. The goal is good. It's only today that may seem rough. So really, for, like say somebody had, says, oh, I, I've always had bad relationships. I, I can never meet the right person, or everything I've touched has fallen apart. Well, if you keep telling yourself that, that's going to keep happening. But if you look if you look back as to why relationships didn't work for you, and even if you have to write it down with a pen and paper and not type it, I mean write it with ink, um, if you do that and really focus on the learning lessons of those relationships, your future is going to be so much better in every relationship you're in because you're going to realize what those problems were, whether it's you or the person you attracted in your life in the past, whatever it may be, you're going to know when you look at it from the standpoint of the learning lesson of the past 
and apply it to your future. And that is positive forward thinking. It's, very, it's a big part of what this is all about. It's all those learning lessons that we read from other people and from ourselves that become part of our future. You know, and, and you, you explained it perfectly, and I laughed because I have had patients come in, and I have one that I'm working with now, and finally, finally, she gets it. Finally, after months, she is, oh, okay, now I understand what you're talking about. And every week I would say very similarly what she needed to do, and I'd call it, you know, a, a think about a magnificent outcome or think about a magical outcome. Just picture it. See it already happening. Know that it's, I mean, don't uh, pro football players and everything do this all the time? They visualize the goal and all that. And, you know, and I would explain it to her in I don't know how many different ways that I could. And finally, 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 she's getting it. And I, you know, it's just, it's easy to do, but it's hard to get people over, I think it's easy to do, but it's hard to, be, to get people over the hump. And it was hard for me, too, when I was going through this to figure out, well, how do you just, you know, how can you possibly think that there's going to be a good outcome when you look historically at your past and you think nothing has ever gone right? But once you start doing this and you do it consistently and you lose the doubt and you have the faith and the trust that it will come out that way, you just kind of get a knowing and you live from that, it's, it's a very optimistic way to live, and things do happen, and they happen quickly. They do. They do. As a matter of fact, it's funny you mentioned the, the athletes. Um, I recently gave a TED Talk, and in the TED Talk, I gave some different examples from our book series, and one of the people I mentioned uh, was Bucky Dent from the New York Yankees. Um, Bucky Dent uh, he's really into optimism and positive thinking. And he had told me uh, that sports psychology in the 1970s was unheard of. If, if somebody had a mental problem on a professional team, they got their own help from a third party. But nowadays, nowadays, every professional team across all sports has a sports psychologist on staff, on staff for the purpose of keeping the players psyched and helping them with the goals, uh, avoiding the negative, uh, positive mind control and enlightenment, uh, for that exact reason, because they know that it's it's not just not just the workouts, it's not just the practice. They're all, that's all important, of course, but it's also the mind. Sort of like the game of golf, you know, 50% is in the mind. So, so that's yeah. very very important and a very valid point. And I like the fact that you say write it out with a pen because when you do that, you're, it ingrains it more. I mean, we were taught to do that when we were studying, write it, write it, and you'll learn it better. If you write things out, it does become ingrained in your mind, and you literally are changing the neural pathways of your brain. Those pathways are physical. They're those ridges on your brain, and you can fill in the ones that are negative and create new positive ones just by being optimistic. They've done studies on that, too. It's crazy, It's crazy, but it's cool, and it's good. <laughs> Absolutely. There's no question. I do love writing stuff down. It's, it's, I love it. Yeah, and I think, too, when people are, uh, the easiest thing or the first thing I tell people to do is let's start with gratitude. Well, I've been maintaining a gratitude journal for, I don't know, 30 years. And, you know, I can go through them and look back and see the history of how my life changed and everything just by the way I wrote in the gratitude journal. And five a night, you do that. And now I've changed it and I do 10 in the morning and five at night because I find that if I do that, it, it sets the tone for the day and it allows me to go to sleep at night knowing I'm still grateful 
you know, and you, so you go to bed and you wake up happy and you, you have your day, you start your day happy because you're grateful for things and you can go through the day. And the interesting thing is you don't react to things. You're more proactive and things don't get to you in the same way that they did before when you live optimistically. You can let more, you know, like a duck, you let it roll off your back. It's crazy, but it really does work. And people don't always believe that until they actually do it. Now, I've had people say, well, I tried it last week and it didn't work. Well, how long did you try it? For a day. <laughs> okay. You need more than a day, you know. Because <laughs> you had all these really years funny. of being negative. Yeah, it is funny. You, you had all these years of being negative. You really kind of got to give it a shot. 24 hours doesn't do it. Maybe a week won't do it. But I guarantee 28 days will do it. I guarantee oh, yeah, it. It's like a diet. You can't diet in one day. You have to. You can't just change your change your food pattern in one day and expect to lose fifty pounds. <laughs> right. Yeah, but people do. They everybody wants that magic pill. They want it to be quick because we live in a digital world, and you know you can have anything you want twenty four seven. But it doesn't mean you have to be up and about twenty four seven just because you have you live in a digital world. You know you don't have to do everything everybody else is doing. Ground yourself. Take a little time for yourself, and and then you'll be able to see how much easier it is to smile than it is to be. It takes work to be depressed. It's an it effort. Does. And more muscles to frown. It takes more muscles to frown than to smile. Sure, and Maybe. as you get older, you're not going to appreciate those wrinkles. <laughs> <laughs> You, you really hit it on the head. Like airlines, for example, you know, I was so disappointed when the airlines started offering Wi-Fi on the planes, and I don't, I don't turn on the Wi-Fi when I travel because it is, uh, it's a nice break. I actually do a lot of my writing by hand when I fly and get caught up on other stuff because you got to take a break from the digital world, and I. I don't want the Wi-Fi on the airplane. I don't care if it's a four-hour flight or a 14-hour flight. I just don't want it. Mm -hmm. uh, know what you mean? Well, I'm always, I'm always being asked by the publicist, um, I'll send you the e-book. And I say, no, nope, I need a hard copy. And they'll say, well, why? And Well, I don't have a Kindle. Sorry. I don't have an iPad. Sorry. I don't even have a magic phone. The cell phone I have rings. It doesn't dance. It doesn't move. It doesn't sing. It just rings like a regular phone. I don't even text. <laughs> <laughs> and they get upset about that. And I'm like, no, I just, I don't have time. I'm working with people. And when I go somewhere, when I travel, I bring a book that I can read and then write my questions in a notebook. I'm just used to doing it this way. I don't really want to have the Kindle. I know it saves space. I know it's lighter. I don't mind carrying the book. It's a workout. There you go. <laughs> I agree. I'm the same way. I, I don't, I mean, e-books are great for certain applications i personally like holding the physical book in my hand i like looking at it after i read it on my shelf i like it yeah and like you know what's funny when the books come in the mail like when yours came in the mail i was a cont uh, contagious optimism i started smiling and laughing i said i don't even have to open this up i want them on my shelf you get the energy from the book. You do. You just pick it up, and you know. I've picked up books and said, oh, no, I don't want that one. <laughs> and, but well, most of them, you know, that come in, yeah, it's it's really wonderful. So here's a big question. How do we tell people to bring optimism to a point of being contagious? How do we tell people? Oh, absolutely. That's a great question. I, I love that. Well, it's funny you mentioned gratitude before because that's really the highlight for me, of how one becomes optimistic and how they spread it, make it contagious. So you need to be grateful for everything in your life. Because if you're not, as I mentioned before, if you're not grateful for the good things, you'll never be satisfied when they're staring you in the face. 
count your blessings and take inventory. But you also need to be grateful for the hardships, the obstacles, and the failures. Why? Because these are the points of wisdom in your life. They give you strength. They teach you how to persevere. They form your resilience. And being thankful for every step, every step, good or bad, makes life's hardships surmountable. So for me, all of this is the foundation of optimism. And that's, that's how you do that. That's how you live or become optimistic and how you make it contagious. If you can't do that for yourself, you certainly are not going to radiate that to others. That's beautiful because gratitude is such a huge part of it. And that's, I always tell people, just live from your heart. If you, if you live from your own heart, you won't really be wondering about everybody else. You'll be less judgmental. You'll be more compassionate and kind and caring. You will understand more. You can cut people slack, and you will be grateful for what you have. And somebody said to me, but, you know, I've had a lot of hardships. And I say, yeah, but you're still here, and that was your growth. That's where exactly. you get your growth. Your, you know, your hardest lessons or the people that are the most difficult to deal with bring you your greatest growth. And sometimes when you look back, I'm going to say most, mostly, probably all the time, when you look back at those hard things, you look and you say, you know what, it's probably a really good thing that that happened. Oh, there's no question. And, you know, I'll tell you, one of the most gratifying things for me in this project is that uh, we capture stories from people all over the world. But one of the things we, we do also is we go into senior living facilities, assisted living, independent living, and we capture stories from the residents because some of the seniors on this planet, their stories are amazing, whether it's the Depression, the war, the Holocaust, how they met their spouse, it, it doesn't matter. These stories are amazing, and it's so gratifying sit down with these people, and I try to do as many as I can myself in addition to our team, because there's just thousands and thousands of these places around, and yesterday I was at a facility in Florida, and I was talking to this lady, she's at 93, she looks great, she feels great, uh, but she's actually in a nursing rehab uh, because of uh, hip problems and leg problems, but mentally she's 110%, and she said to me, she goes, you know, I am so happy. I'm so happy because I have such great, great memories. My husband was terrific. We have children who I still see, who still visit me and care for me. The people here are wonderful, the residents, the therapists, the staff. And she's so happy. She's not bitter about her age. She's not bitter about her health. She's happy for what she had. She counts her blessings. And you know what? She might live another 10 years because she's so happy. And uh, I, it was so rewarding. It was just a, it's just very, I love it. I, I can't get over how great it is going into those places. It, it is wonderful because, you know, it's unfortunate in this country, we tend to take older people and instead of learning from them, we put them away and shelve them off as being, you know, okay, well, they're senior citizens and they don't know anything. We have so much to learn from them. We have so much. They're, they're so full of wisdom in their experiences and it's, unbelievable the way that senior citizens are treated here they're you know it is it's just it's very sad you know it's very very sad there's so much wisdom there there's so much to learn there's so much that you can learn about history and and all the adversity that they've experienced and realize wow do i live in a great time or what how lucky am i it really puts things in perspective you know uh yeah and across the world as well i mean i i was in poland and i went to um auschwitz 
And, oh, my God, you know, everybody said, well, wasn't that depressing? And I said, no, it really wasn't. Here you are at a concentration camp, and I can't even explain it. I don't know. It's ineffable. There are no words to explain this. But you're not depressed. You're just more in awe of what occurred and thinking how grateful you are for where you are and being able to see this so that you don't forget. And it certainly it changed me. It made me think, wow, you know, a lot of people have had a whole lot of suffering that's way worse than anything I've ever suffered. And this is crazy to see it and all the evidence of it. And that alone, I think everybody in the world should have to go there and see it. That alone will make you optimistic. There's no question. And as a matter of fact, one of the people in our in our book, uh, David Katz uh, from Queens, New York, uh, he tells a story about how, and we verify all these stories with the witnesses, and he tells us about how he was in a concentration camp. And he survived, obviously he survived. And according to the witnesses, they said that David, as a young boy, was really into this recipe that he created to survive. And it was do what you're told, never complain, and most importantly, constantly visualize yourself being freed from the hell. And he kept pushing and pushing and pushing this recipe to everybody around him. I mean, talk about power positive thinking going back mm-hmm. all those years at 10, 11 years old. But he kept doing it. And for everybody that listened around him, they survived. And they still thank him today. And they're even witnesses for his essay in our book. It's astonishing. So here he's thinking positive while he's watching all these people getting murdered and he's thinking, if I just picture myself not being here, I will not be here anymore. And within a year, he was released. So you know, amazing. and you can, yeah, it is amazing. That is, that's a, that is a great, great story because how, how does that happen in, in a situation like that? But he was so very powerfully optimistic that it did happen for him. We are speaking right now with author David Mezapal who is the author of Contagious Optimism, and you can learn more about David by visiting his website, www.contagiousoptimism.com. And I suggest you all go there because, I don't know, I don't think there's anybody that couldn't use a little more optimism, do you? (laughs) No, not at all. Absolutely. (laughs) And now your book is filled with stories from, it's quite a diverse group of people, I'll call them your co-authors, one of whom I can remember off the top of my head, Lori Martin has been on this show, uh, Smile Across Your Heart. How yeah. did you? Yeah, uh, yeah, I like Laurie a lot. How did you come to find these people? How how did you get them? <laughs> well, that's that's a great question. It was a lot of years in the process to build our network. Um, well, we com- we combined um, a lot of grassroots marketing, pounding pavement. Uh, we recruited lots of of students, as I mentioned, as interns for social media. And one of the things we did specifically with our interns is we sent them into the local towns around their campuses throughout the U.S., Europe, and even some in Australia and Asia. And these students would go into different organizations. They would go into the senior living facilities. Uh, They would speak at different local events, whatever they could do to spark people to share their stories. I mean, 750 words or less are our essays. They're very short and very easy to write. And once you convince somebody, excuse me, once you convince somebody that they have a story, that everybody has fantastic stories, they will start telling you them. And 
there are millions of them out there, and it's spread like wildfire for us, both virtually and grassroots. And that's how we built our audience, and it was, it's been very effective. Uh, now we're at a point where the stories just pour in. We, we don't have to pound pavement any, anymore like we did, but we are still going into the um, senior living communities because we believe that's not only rewarding for us, but the stories we pull out of there are amazing. I would think you'd get incredible stories from those people. Amazing. Across, like I said, all different themes, sports, business, relationships, health, uh, astonishing. But but overall, we just really, since 2010, we have just spent a lot of energy, money, time, uh, and wherewithal to just get out into the communities and just spread the word that contagious optimism is a place for you to tell your story. And uh, whatever it may be, whatever you've been holding back, whatever was a, uh, an aha moment, a learning lesson in your life, share it. Share it. You know, we like to say that when we share our stories, we are sharing our wisdom. We are giving others the tools they need to build, evolve, and persevere. So mankind, in essence, is paying it forward all the time. You know, something somebody did before you help to build your foundation, just like something you did will help build somebody else's foundation. So when you explain that in the communities, the towns, the cities, stories come pouring in, they just come pouring in. Well, and I also think that when people are writing their story, it's very, it can be very cathartic. It can also be a validation and almost like a, a witnessing of their life. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and and that of, is thank all. Thank you. I bet you do. That. A lot of people thank us for for what writing a story they've been holding back on has done for them. Uh, so it's funny you mentioned that. We get probably two or three times a day we'll get uh, email to our info desk uh, with a thank you. And probably two or three times a week we get a physical letter. Um, people thank us. So it's very gratifying. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're definitely doing a great job with this and getting. And I can't believe you're gonna. Well, I can believe it, but it's great that you're going to have other volumes of it because when I looked at this and I saw the table of contents, I thought, oh, it's nice that it's divided up into you know relationships, business, and careers, turning envy and jealousy into something positive. That's great because you know you can go and and read about those types of things. But now you're going to have additional books. Are those going to be? broken down in the same way, or do you not know yet, or will they be specific to one area, let's say? Well, that's absolutely a great question. And what we're going to do is some topics are extremely hot and, and some topics are, are not. So the very hot topics where the stories keep coming in, obviously there's something about those themes that generate all this content. So we'll continue the very hot topics and let our readers Keep enjoying stories from, from diverse people all over. Um, and then we'll add new topics here and there as well to, to keep it interesting. But the nice thing about the structure of our books is that the same person that read Volume 1, if they really enjoyed it, they'll enjoy Volume 2 as well because it'll be great stories, short stories from different people, and they'll, they'll just keep coming back, and, and that's wonderful. And, and this is a philanthropic project, so we're not doing this to, to make money. We, we want to cover our expenses, but we're not doing this to, to retain profit. We're doing this to, to share our profit with different charities, uh, with Fairfield University being at the top. Um, so 
for us, it's just extreme gratification now that we have the framework in place. Well, and the other thing is when you're working on yourself and you're being optimistic, you do find that things just come to you and you create something bigger and much larger than you ever expected. (laughs) So I'm sure that's what you are feeling right now because you probably thought, okay, we'll do a book. (laughs) I never, uh, I shouldn't say never, but I I certainly didn't expect this to go where where it's gone. I, I cannot believe I cannot believe the the growth, the uh, kudos, uh, the press, the media. It's it's really gone in a direction that I I didn't think this early would would be happening. But it's it's wonderful, and, I, and it's for the reasons you just mentioned. People deep down want to be happier. They want to be optimistic, and people enjoy hearing other people's happy stories. You know the the mainstream media has always been since the beginning of time. They like the bad news. They're, you know, that's their job, presenting the bad news. But I think now as things are evolving and people are just tired of such bad news, it's refreshing to hear the good stuff. And hopefully if you hear enough good stuff, the bad stuff will just you know, start disappearing. People will start becoming better at being you know, good humans and good citizens and altruistic. So we're, we're hoping it has that kind of chain effect. I think it will because people are hungry for this. This is what they want right now. I was speaking with someone who said recently who said, you know, I think that people are just, I don't think it's getting any better. It's getting much worse. And I said, I'm going to disagree completely. I think people are starving for good, solid information. There's a lot of information out there. The Internet provides different webinars and teleseminars and all kinds of things that are being offered for free. And then if you want to buy the person's package, you can. They're hungry for this. And within the next three years, you will see such a growth in wellness centers and other things happening. People are running to these places because they can't handle all that they have to handle right now that life is throwing at them because of everything that you talked about before, the, um, you know, the economic situations that we have, the challenges that people have financially and everything that's going on with the housing market and, you know, who can find a job and the political upheaval, all of that. People can't handle it and they don't know what to do. So they're thirsty, they're hungry, they're starving for this information that you're providing in your book. And I would think that they would just sell off the shelves completely you'll just have to keep reprinting and making more books (laughs) (laughs) oh that would be great news (laughs) i think it would i mean you're giving all the stories and i was going to ask you of all the stories you received regardless of whether they're in this first book or any other one did you find that there is a common theme um yes yes definitely um whether it's business or personal health or sports or relationships, uh, the common theme is definitely that people are inherently good, every one of them. Uh, And the reason why I feel that way is because every person who told their story, their story might be about themselves, it might be about others, but every one of them found it to be important to share the uplifting message of that story with all of us. And I believe that's because they're inherently good. Because if they weren't, they could care less if you're happy. But obviously they want you to be happy because they're sharing that story with you. And I noticed um, whether it was an action they took or something they observed, they felt the need to, to bring it live. And, I, and I, that's the underlying message that I have found. Um, 
there's a story. You, you want me to? Do you have time for an example? Because it's a great story. Yes, actually, I was going to ask you if there was a, one story that seemed to really resonate with you, and if you would share it. So by all means, go right ahead. Sure. I mean, there, there's a lot of stories, and they're all equally wonderful. But there's just one story I always like to talk about because I I just can't believe it for for two young girls. It's called Prom Drive, and basically, this girl from Connecticut. Her name is Allison Frateroli. Allison went shopping for a prom dress uh, this past spring. I like to say it's a rite of passage of teenagers every year. And, uh, and amongst all the excitement, Allison realized that there are many girls that can't afford these prom dresses, which means there are many girls not going to their prom. Mm-hmm. So instead of doing nothing about it, Allison and her friend Sasha Clark, together, they started a prom drive by collecting pre-owned dresses, shoes, and accessories for underprivileged girls so that they, too, can go to the prom. Now, as you and I both know, prom dresses are worn once and are, like, never worn again. I That's remember right. my, <laughs> my girlfriends in high school and my sister, nobody ever, nobody ever wore that prom dress more than once. So, um, so Allison and Sasha formed a team of all their friends, and the staff of a local nonprofit called Kids Helping Kids. And together, this whole group made Prom Drive a reality. And it did so well that it's continuing every day. Clothes are pouring in from around the country, and they're going to keep doing this drive every year. So just in time for the prom in the spring, more and more girls will have a dress. They'll be proud. They'll look great, and they will go to their prom. And You know, there's so many stories, and some are more impactful than that. But for some reason, that story of altruism amongst 17-year-old teenage girls that did this on their own, they weren't pushed by parents or anybody else, it's, it's just awesome. I love that story. And, and I think it is because, first of all, they're 17 years old. They're girls, so there is that competitive edge there. They don't have to do this. They don't have to have everyone at the prom. They could just be like, well, I get to go and you can't because girls can be vicious and mean at that age, you know. And, yeah, so all of that compiled together, it certainly is altruism. And kudos to them for doing it. I'm wondering, was that on the news? Because it is just too familiar to me. I really think I've seen, like, pictures of it happening, showing you know the drive. What? You're in New Jersey, correct? Yeah, so I would get the Connecticut News via New York. Yeah, They'd show the well, story. It was on a couple different shows. It was also yep. some of the some of the newspapers. They're they're based in New Canaan, Connecticut, which is a pretty wealthy area. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's the other thing that's surprising to me about it is this particular you know Fairfield County, Connecticut. There's there's so much wealth and and so many young people take things for granted. So I was so moved by this story for so many reasons. And uh, so Allison and uh, one of the administrators at Kids Helping Kids, um, they sent me the story for the book, and it's going to be in our volume two because I, I got the story after we printed volume one, so it'll be in our mm-hmm. next volume. And um, some of my some of my talks, I'm going to read read that story more more in depth. Um, I just just love it. I just love it. It is a great story because there are so many facets to it, especially when you realize it's coming from such a affluent county. You know, exactly. because you just don't, you don't normally hear that. You just don't. So kudos to them. That is really wonderful. We're almost out of time, but there is an Optimist Creed that was written in 1912 by Christian D. Larson, and his goal was clear, to attract good into your life and to share good with others. And 
while that may have been written 100 years ago, it still holds true today, and it's unaffected by time. May I read that, David? By all means. I, would, I love hearing it. Oh, thank you. Okay. Promise yourself to be so strong that nothing can disturb your peace of mind to talk health, happiness, and prosperity to every person you meet, to make all your friends feel that there is something worthwhile in them, to look at the sunny side of everything and make your optimism come true, to think only of the best, to work only for the best, and to expect only the best, to be just as enthusiastic about the success of others as you are about your own, to forget the mistakes of the past, and press on to the greater achievements of the future, to wear a cheerful countenance at all times and give every living creature you meet a smile, to give so much time to the improvement of yourself that you have no time to criticize others, to be too large for worry, too noble for anger, too strong for fear, and too happy to permit the presence of trouble, to think well of yourself and to proclaim this fact to the world, not in loud word, but in great deeds, to live in the faith that the whole world is on your side so long as you are true to the best that is in you. That is just beautiful, and I loved it, and I, I, I just I wanted to read that on air because I loved it. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. I, I appreciate that. I really um, I do love that. And it's very – it's amazing in 1912, and it still applies today 100 years later, 101 years later. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? But you know what? This again – we need to really give more toward the senior citizens and understand we can learn from them because this is, you know, like you said, it's 101 years old. And come on, you know, they were very wise. People have always had wisdom. They tried to share it. Let's just really get on the bandwagon and understand it and go with it and, and help push it out there. Uh, yeah, I can't believe that this hour went up. This was great. Before we go, though, would you please tell our listeners how they can learn more about you and where they can purchase your book, Contagious Optimism? Sure. Um, our book is now available on any website from Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart. It's available in any bookstore, both chain and independent stores. Uh, to find a store near you, if you go to contagiousoptimism.com, just like it's spelled, just like it sounds, uh, click on the word books on the top right corner, and you'll see a list of stores and a search area to, uh, to find a, a local independent bookstore or chain bookstore. Or, again, you can buy it online, and the links are there as well. On that same website is my bio and the bios of all the co-authors in the first volume. And uh, some more general information. Uh, you'll also see info on the Contagious Optimism Live, which is a up-and-coming series of events around the country and eventually around the world. Uh, we'll be having speakers telling their stories, and we're going to make this a live event, not just a physical book. So we're very, very excited about that as well. That is very exciting. And, of course, once again, all of the proceeds are going to various charities. First and foremost on the list is Fairfield University. But you, right. you are – all the money goes away. This is not like it's going into your pocket. So it's really important that people know that because sometimes, you know, people will go out and buy the book just because of that, you know, because they realize, well, that would oh, be okay, it's for a good cause. Mm-hmm. Yep, well, keeps the optimism going. <laughs> exactly right. It's, it's, it's optimism, it's altruism, and it's gratitude. 
That's right. It's everything all wrapped into one, and it, it makes everybody's life better. So, you know, go for it, listeners. And, you know, listeners, we need you to spread the word. I know that you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. You can send the link to the show so that they can be made aware of all the wonderful things that are offered on the show. All of my guests share their time completely freely. They give us a minimum of 60 minutes of their day to help us all. And as you are all aware, they do it at no charge. You pay nothing for the wisdom and knowledge that you receive here at Energy Awareness Radio from all of these wonderful guests who share their time and expertise with us. So please be sure to pass the word. Thank you again, David. I appreciate your sharing time with all of us this evening. It was such a pleasure to have you on the show. This was wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here, and I'm honored to to have been part of it. Ah, thank you. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in this evening. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for another great show. So go ahead and mark your calendar now so you remember to tune in next week. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. And you'll find an archive list of past shows, a lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events that I'll be hosting throughout the year. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio. I am your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. When I remember It's not a hand.